now is a friend and a cohort, and that is uh, a Masson cohort, and that is Mel Anton. And Mel, many thanks for joining us this Saturday morning. Hey, it's good to be with you, Stan. You know that. Um, boy, I got to tell you, we we work together two and sometimes three nights a week over at Masson on the Mid-Atlantic Sports Report, and I think we were always optimistic that the Nats had the talent to compete in this division, but it really looked like they had uh, let it get out of hand, but they are coming on like a banshee right now, aren't they? They really are. They're, and I, I think they're going to be fine. There's plenty of time now because they look like a completely different team. Uh, the rotation is strong. The bullpen has improved. The offense is scoring six and seven runs a game. And plays that they couldn't make uh, earlier in the season, they're making now, especially on defense. We saw what Trey Turner did at shortstop uh, Wednesday or Thursday night. I can't remember it all blurs. But last night, Victor Robles made an incredible diving catch to end the game in the ninth inning. Braves had runners on first and second and were rallying. And and, uh, Robles made a fantastic play. Everybody in the stadium thought the ball was going to drop for a single and, the, and it was going to be a tie game going into the bottom of the ninth, but Robles saved the day. But, but when you compare the Nats to the Phillies and the Braves, the Nats pitching is superior yep. to both those teams, and that's going to make all the difference. A question. Uh, last night, Sean Doolittle was not used to get the save. They went with William Suaro. And I heard at the very end of the game something like, well, if your number one guy isn't available, you go to the next guy. Uh, is any any major concerns with Doolittle? I didn't hear what the nature or did he just – he wasn't able to go to the post he just, last night. Apparently he wasn't able to go, and so that was, that was about it. Um, but everybody in the stadium was going to go – everybody in the stadium was – was wondering, you know, why was uh, Suero pitching over Doolittle? But apparently he was just not ready to go and uh, needed a day off. And it's interesting how the Nats bullpen. It's a, it's like a Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde. Yeah, but what's interesting is they brought in, um, they brought in um, Trevor Rosenthal in his first high leverage situation, and he did fine instead of uh, instead of Tanner Rainey. Right, and then they brought in. Um, uh, they brought in uh, Suero to pitch in place of Doodle. I think they're fine, but last night is an indication that the, do- the bullpen is becoming versatile yep. and stronger. I don't think there's any issues with Sean Doolittle. Yeah, I, I, I don't, and I think it's incredible. Uh, I was really worried that Trevor Rosenthal's situation was much more psychological than mechanical. I almost likened it to sort of what Chris Davis was going through with the Orioles earlier in the season, uh, that it was all mental, but it turns out it must have been more mechanical because he's come back and he hasn't been flawless, but uh, that's very interesting that they finally put him in a, a leverage situation. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. He was, you know, he had basically a month in the minor leagues, and that's typical. I mean, it's, it's similar to, um, to uh, Greg Holland, who pitched so miserably poor, who had basically the same situation as Trevor Rosenthal, tried to come back too soon from Tommy John as a relief pitcher. That's not easy to do. It's a little, it, it, there's a little bit more rhythm, a little bit more uh, structure when a, when a starter does it, but a, a reliever doesn't always get the innings he needs to get. And, you know, you look at how Greg Holland came back 
after a miserable three months with the Cardinals, came back and had 24 great games for the Nats in the second half of last season. I think the same thing can happen for Trevor Rosenthal. And what a what a what a what a Boy, fine, that would be what like, a, good, what yeah. a turn on that'd be for the Nats. Yeah, at this point in time, it's almost like a trade you made where you didn't have to give up a player, and all of a sudden you got a new player on your team. Uh, Mel, I wanted to ask you about, from the Atlanta side, I was pleasantly surprised when I looked at Dallas Keuchel's numbers for first time out after not having pitched competitively, and you can pitch in all the sim games, and, and, and well, he had pitched competitively in one or two minor league starts, but I thought he, he probably, Atlanta was probably ecstatic with what they got out of him. Oh, yeah, I think he had... He had two minor league starts, one in Class A and one at Double A, throwing 100 pitches in the minor league, so the endurance was there. And he wasn't Keuchel sharp. He wasn't as sharp as you expect him to be at his best, but he was better than average, just kind of like Strasburg was last night. He was enough to get by. And I think the Braves have to be, um, you know, they have to be encouraged by that. I think if Dallas Keuchel can build on what he did, uh, would be great. So. Um, so, so sticking before we talk some Orioles baseball, and we're talking to Mel Ampton and from Masson Sports and MassonSports.com, um, I want to stick with the with the National League East for a second. We know that uh, we talked about it a lot that Mickey Calloway seemed to be on the hot seat, and that sort of passed. We thought that Davey Martinez was virtually on, on uh, you know, on, on like a death watch, and he survived that, and the team is thriving. The one manager in the division now, I think that the hot seat mantle is squarely on, is the Philadelphia Phillies' Gabe Kapler. Uh, I don't see Andy McPhail and Matt Klintak letting this season just fall apart, and I think they're getting – there's a critical mass building toward that happening. Yeah, it's it's so interesting how the Phillies fell apart. We've talked about how thin their starting staff is. Nola, Eikhoff, Velasquez, none of those guys have pitched well. Pavetta, three or four of the starters that they expected to pitch well have not pitched well. Okay, that's number one. The bullpen has been incredibly thin given they had 1.7 pitchers, seven relief pitchers on the disabled list, so that wasn't good. But one of the big key factors that is costing the Phillies big time during the month of June that we don't talk much about is the fact that Andrew McCutcheon, their yep. leadoff hitter, went out uh, for the season with an Achilles injury. I think it was an Achilles injury. Yep. And uh, ever since he's been out, the leadoff spot has been terrible to the point where they moved Bryce Harper into the leadoff spot Thursday in Washington. But uh, Cesar Hernandez tried to lead off, and he couldn't get the offense going. Uh, Gene Segura was in a huge slump. They moved him up to the leadoff. He was hitting well in the right. middle of the order, and then they moved him up to leadoff, and he couldn't do the job. Now it looks like Bryce Harper. But the but the Phillies have fallen apart on, on three levels, a thin bullpen, injured, uh, a rotation that's not effective, and now their run production is falling off the map because they don't have any leadoff hitters. We're talking with Mel Anton in a mass in sports, and Mel – if they pulled the trigger, knowing Matt Klentak the way you do and you've observed and known Andy McPhail for a long time, would it seem like Joe Girardi might be the best fit there, or is there somebody I'm not thinking about? No, I think Joe Girardi would be a good – I think that's I think that's an excellent choice. And to be honest with you, they haven't really thought about who's in their system and who might come yep. up. Yep. I think the players are reacting to Gabe Kapler. Remember, he was a little bit reinventing the wheel when he yep. started. 
but he's settled down, and I think they like his new, new age philosophies on mm-hmm. training and 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 approaches to the game. I think the players are getting into that because they're a younger group of players. But it'd be pretty hard to man. I guess what would happen is if the Phillies thought a new, you know, if the Phillies thought that a new manager, even if, yeah, what I'm trying to say is when the season is going bad, right. The manager gets fired regardless if he's doing a good job or not. Right. I think in this case, it's hard to say that Gabe Kapler deserves to be fired when you consider everything that has gone wrong with the team. But maybe a new manager would make a difference. But I think in this case, it, it wouldn't make any difference when you consider how many things have gone wrong for the Phillies. Let's take a look at what could make a difference for them. I'm looking around, and I don't know if you agree with this or not, and it's some, it's something of recent vintage in my head. I think for the Orioles that the number one trade commodity they have is not Trey Mancini because I just don't see that a fit where Trey's going to be so much in demand by somebody. But I'm looking around at the dearth of starting pitching, and I think that Dylan Bundy, despite, again, the problems in the sixth inning the other night, uh, I think he's evolved into the Orioles' best trade chip. I agree, Stan. I think that's a good point. Uh, Mancini is Mancini. It's interesting that when uh, the Yankees picked up Encarnacion, apparently the the Rays and the Astros were interested in Mancini. But I don't really see why. I can understand why Tampa Bay would need an upgrade at first base, right? But they wouldn't need an upgrade in the outfield. Mancini wouldn't wouldn't fit in there, and I, I don't see him going to Houston. Although everybody thinks he should, but I agree with you. The way Dylan Pundy has pitched in the last couple of months, it's it's a very it's very impressive. It's very attractive to a team that understands that he's gone from a power pitcher to a command pitcher. And I agree with you. I think Dylan Bundy would be a, a, a valuable commodity on the trade market, not only because he's pitching well, but because I've got a couple years left of uh, control. That always makes a big difference as well. So Dylan Bundy could be a trade chip, a big trade chip, the, bi- the biggest bi- trade chip. And I think if Michael Gibbons just shows any positive signs at all, uh, given that every 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 contender needs a reliever, I think Michael Gibbons uh, would be an excellent trade chip for somebody. You know, it's interesting, and I I started earlier in the program. Uh, our first guest and I had today, Andrew Stetka. We had a miscommunication, and it's it was just as much my fault not reminding him because he was coming back from a vacation. But I started conjecturing what teams would be the fit for Dylan Bundy, and the Phillies seem like a fit. The Astros seem like a fit, and the Yankees seem like a fit to me. I want to ask you a question. If they could agree on the type of players involved in the deal, would Brian Cashman have any qualms about trading within the division? I don't think he would. No, I don't think so. Not if you could get somebody like that. I think what the the Yankees are thinking about is what, what it would take to get Madison Baumgartner. They got Clint Fraser in their minor league system. You know, he's been demoted to the minor leagues. Good hitter, needs some work defensively. But I think, you know, I think to answer your question, I don't think Brian Cashman would be afraid to pick up Dylan Bunn. I think the fear would be the other way around. But I think if there's a deal to be made with the Yankees, fine, go ahead and do it. I think the Yankees are, are focused on Madison Bumgarner. They've got outfielders in their system. They've got a surplus of outfielders. And San Francisco might be the one rebuilding team that doesn't necessarily need young pitching. Every team needs young pitching, right. particularly rebuilding teams. But the Giants are flushed that way. And that's why you kind of think that Bumgarner might end up in Atlanta 
or end up in the Yankees because both teams have good young both teams have good young outfielders that could be traded. But to answer your question, I kind of veered off here. Um, I don't think I don't think the Orioles should worry about trading him within the division. Yeah, and I don't think the Yankees would worry about that either. All right, it's interesting. I've come sort of full circle. You know, from sitting with me a couple nights a week, that I've thought Bumgarner to the Yankees was a fait accompli. I was reading an article about it the other day. And again, the the combination of him appearing to be a rental at this point in time, although I think if the Yankees got him and he pitched well, it's a no-brainer that they would re-sign him. Uh, But but the combination of the fact that he appears to be a rental and he also has that no-trade clause that blocks a trade to the Yankees means it's... It, it, the trade can't be cleanly done, and I think teams like the Twins and Houston now, and maybe the Phillies now appear more likely in the Bumgarner uh, scenario. And Granky, the deal seems like awfully convoluted. Uh, you know, so much money left in his contract. Yeah, Granky's pitching well, but you wouldn't have to give up much because you'd be mm-hmm. taking up a big contract. Yeah, yeah, you make excellent points all the way around. Arizona. Well, is kind of teetering here. Do they do they want to keep Granky? Do they want to keep Robbie Ray with the idea that they might have a one shot, they might have a shot at being a wild card team? Is that worth keeping all those players? I mean, this was supposed to be a rebuilding year for Arizona, but uh, you know they're 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 they got a chance to be a wild card team, and so Arizona's going to have to decide what they want to do. Is it worth it to keep all that money for for a one game one game in the postseason? I don't know, but yeah. Uh, Bumgardner is interesting because his ERA is not classic Madison no, Bumgardner, but his not... strikeout-to-walk ratio yeah. is very good. I think, Stan, he would be similar to Cole Hamels last year. Mm-hmm. Remember when Cole Hamels was pitching with the Texas Rangers, team that was out of the race, his ERA was up over four, he wasn't pitching very well, but he caught fire when he went to a team that had a chance to win. And talking about the Cubs, and he hasn't turned back since. I think the same that, scenario could happen with Madison Bumgarner. And I think that's the scenario that is quietly developed with Dylan Bundy. I think he's a little bit overwhelmed by the losing in Baltimore and that he has to be picture-perfect on almost every pitch to win a game for the Orioles. I look around and think of him with Houston or or the Yankees and think with the the way those teams play defense and the way they bash, he would be much more relaxed and you'd you'd get a whole different level of performance out of him. Yeah, I think that's yeah, I think there's something to be said for that. You know, um again, we've seen it with Cole Hamels, I think we'd see it with Madison Bumgarner and and Bundy, I know I know what he means to the Orioles franchise, but I think anybody on that team, even a Trey Mancini, uh, has to be considered a trade ship at this point because if think about three years down the road, Mancini will be thirty one or thirty two. I don't yeah. know how old Bundy will be in three years, but you know, they need to stockpile more than anything. But yeah, Bundy's gonna be interesting. Everybody talks about Trevor Bauer, Marcus Stroman, and yep. Aaron Sanchez, Madison Baumgartner, Robbie Ray, but Dylan Bundy might I might end up being yeah. really uh Really a good, uh, really marketable he, he, uh, pitcher if he continues to do what he's done. He could be a starting version of Ryan Presley, you know? 
We're yeah. a good team. <laughs> you know, it's interesting. Uh, before we go, I uh, let's not talk Orioles today because there's really not a lot you can say positively, and that's not the reason we're avoiding it. I'm more interested, you and I haven't really talked the, at length about the Manny Machado umpiring situation. Um, your thoughts on the umpires union kind of going so public and, and it's, there's no name attached to who wrote that tweet. Yeah. 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 I agree with you. I mean, we talked about this on the mid Atlantic sports report and I think we all agreed that the umpires overreacted with their wording and the way they express themselves in the press release afterward. But having said that, I think they've got a good point. Manny was out of bounds for throwing his helmet and then throwing his bat. He threw his bat after, after giving him, after yelling at the umpire and kind of getting out his frustration, he then threw his bat very maliciously. I think the umpires have a good point, but I think, I think the way they expressed themselves was. Yeah, uh, I just thought. I don't know why I, they did it when they did. They could have done it behind closed doors yeah. and, and made a stronger point. I think because I mean, the issue became how they expressed themselves, and not the fact that Manny. I, I I can't excuse Manny for throwing a bat. Right. It, I, I can understand you know, pounding it into the ground or something like that. But throwing a bat that hard against uh, against the the fa- you know against the fence there uh, where fans are and bat boys run, I-, I don't see that. I think the umpires have a good point there. Did Did you think that the you know we've all watched baseball for a long time and what used to be the most colorful part of baseball has essentially I won't say it's entirely been taken out. But the manager arguing with the umpire it was something Billy Martin, Sparky Anderson, Earl Weaver, of course, Lou Pinella. It's always been a part of the lure. But do you, have you ever once thought of it as a dangerous situation, a la workplace violence, where people come in with guns? I thought it triv- it almost trivialized uh, a serious workplace issue. Yeah, I agree. I mean, managers have bumped before, bumped an umpire before, but there's never really been any serious threats. So I think that's a good point. And, uh, you know, you and I talked about this. You, We both believe that uh, the electronic strike zone is coming in. Yep. And uh, I don't I don't think it's a good idea. I like the human element of the game. I like, I like that. I think we're going to miss something if we do. But I understand that the electronic strike zone is on its way and progress is here. But, yeah, to, make, to answer your point, uh, I have never seen really any violent, violent confrontation outside of maybe kicking some dirt on the umpire's shoes. You know, it's one of the more beautiful things about the game of baseball is you can you can argue like cats and dogs the next night. The next day, you pretty much have to go out and exchange the lineup card, you know, uh, or the players. They're brushing elbows with the umpire that they argued with the day before. Um, I've never thought of that as a, a workplace violence issue. No, no, I don't think so either. I, I think I, I think it adds to the game. I think that I think we'll be missing something if if players and managers can't argue. I understand that you know you you almost can't not have instant replay. Right. But at the same time, the human element is part of the game. The imperfection is what makes it fun. I think that we're too wrapped up and too critical of everything that's going on. I mean, so many times broadcasters and, and everybody blames the umpires. A team can go one for ten with runners in scoring position, get beat by one run, and everybody blames the umpire because he didn't make a call in the eighth inning the way they thought it should be called. I think we're overly critical, and I think the imperfection of the game is what sometimes makes it, is what makes it so beautiful. 
I don't I don't know if there's a perfect system that allows everything to be I don't know if there's a system that allows everything to be perfect. Maybe there is. I'm not against progress, but I worry sometimes. All right, Mel. You heading out to Nats Park tonight? I'll be there. All right. Listen, I'll see you Monday night at uh, Masson. All, All right. right. Thanks, Dan. Thank you very much for coming on. Always you appreciate bet. the time. Mel Antonin of Masson, MassonSports.com.